we'll show them imagery and then they can give us kind of real-time feedback. And then we'll look at that data in aggregate and we'll make decisions on whether we should proceed with, with ideas or with projects. And once we proceed with the project, we use what our customers tell us to decide if it's the right choice for them. I'm your host, Dave Knox, and this is Predicting the Turn, a show that helps business leaders meet their industry's inevitable disruption head on. Welcome to another episode of Predicting the Turn. Today, we're going to sit down and learn the founding story of Bespoke Posts as we sit down with Steve and Rishi, the co-founders of the business. Guys, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. So I want to start with just, you know, the founding story. What inspired you to launch Bespoke Post back in 2011? Yeah, so I'll, I'll take this one. It's actually, I mean, it's kind of a funny story in that uh, Rishi and I met in business school and we were going through the program. And if, if you've been to business school or know people who, who have gone through it, you know that a lot of times uh, by the time you're graduating, most of the students have jobs all lined up. And so we figured maybe we'll join a smaller company, we'll join a startup and not go through the formal recruiting process to go into consulting or a, a big tech company or, or what have you. So we essentially didn't go through the recruiting cycle. And as we got closer to graduation, we thought, well, why don't we start our own company? And uh, so we started kicking around a few ideas and working on it. And this was in 2011. So this was a while back. And we applied to several accelerator programs. And at the time, accelerator programs were just starting to become a thing. And we got into an accelerator program located in New York called ERA or Entrepreneurs Roundtable. And that was actually their very first class. And so the funny thing is we actually applied with a completely different idea. And we're sometimes embarrassed to talk about it because it wasn't something that we were particularly skilled at succeeding in, but it was a QR code, advertising technology business, all things that we didn't really have much experience in ourselves. Steve, Steve I think so, you're, being, you're being too modest. It was, it, was a, it was a terrible idea, let's be honest. <laughs> and so we were working on it all summer and we were walking around New York and there's all, at the time there were all these QR codes because a lot of brand advertisers thought, oh, QR code is going to be the next big thing. So we'd walk around and we'd scan all the QR codes and we're working on this business and we built an app and we had a couple customers actually. And towards the end of the program, we sort of looked at each other and, and said, how many people other than the two of us have you seen scan a QR code in New York City? over the last two or three months. And we actually couldn't think of one person that we saw scanning the QR code on all of these advertisements plastered across the city. And so we sort of realized that if people weren't going to scan advertisements in New York or scan QR codes on advertisements in New York, then how are they going to do it anywhere else? Because that seemed like the perfect market for it. So towards the end of the program, we went to the people running it and said, hey, we kind of don't believe in this idea anymore. And we're not really passionate about it. We don't know if there's a big market here. And even if there is, we don't know if we're the right people to be successful with it. And they said, okay, great. The demo day is coming up in a couple of weeks. So you better effing come up with something to present. <laughs> and so... Uh, our story actually kind of came from being in this program and being ex-business school students and needing to put something together really quickly, which maybe isn't like the sexiest story in the world, but that's what happened. And it was kind of a liberating moment because we had gone through several months of building this business that we kind of knew deep in our gut wasn't really the right thing for us. And so once we unshackled ourselves from that idea, we got to really talk about what it is that we'd be interested in and what we thought we could be successful in. And so a few themes sort of emerged. Uh, I had a supply chain background. Rishi was 
a bit of a tastemaker in business school. He would DJ the local uh, parties, and uh, he kind of knew what was <laughs> he, he kind of uh, you know dressed nicely and, and knew what was cool, I guess. And so we started passing around some ideas, and we thought, you know, there's a lot of e-commerce businesses that are built for women, but there's not a lot out there for men. And we think there's an interesting opportunity there. And we think that between our backgrounds, we have the skills to be successful in this business. And so that's how Bespoke Pace came up. And the basic idea when we first started is each month, we're going to put together a collection of products that we think guys should know about. And, uh, you know, we, we, we worked on the model. We got up in front of a bunch of investors and basically had a PowerPoint deck. I mean, that was it. There was really no business. But we presented it, and a lot of people thought it was kind of cool. And so this was, I think, in September. We ended up launching the site 30 days after we had the idea and started taking credit cards. So it was kind of really fast because we, you know, in our minds, we kind of burned all this time working on this other idea and gone through some of the money that, that, we, had, that we had received as part of the accelerator program. So we kind of needed to just move quickly. So started taking credit cards 30 days later, and we've kind of been at it ever since. Let's talk about those early days. So when the business launched in 2011, it was a one box option per month model. How's that changed over the last 10 years? And how have you really taken the unique approach to data to expand and differentiate the offerings? So yeah, when we when we first started, it was one box a month. It was the same kind of underlying mechanics. And the, the driving force was all about discovery. How do we help our customers discover really interesting emerging small brands? Now we launch on average about 30 different boxes every single month. Different people see different things. And one of our unique differentiators is uh, we cover pretty much every single category. So we do everything from grooming to apparel to outdoor gear to kitchen to barware to dot, dot, dot. Um, Everything that touches our customers' lives. And of these 30 boxes that we launch every single month, what really drives what people's selections are, are what we know about our customers. And that comes from a variety of places. Most importantly, it's what our customers tell us. So we have a, a really deep relationship with them where we, we ask them questions through the site. Uh, we've got a tool called Field Research where we tell them what we're working on, tell them things we're excited about, and we ask for their input and feedback. And based on what they say, you know, we might say, hey, like we're working on this, you know, we found this really cool knife block like what do you think about it we'll show them imagery and then they can give us kind of real-time feedback and then we'll look at that data in aggregate and we'll make decisions on whether we should proceed with with ideas or with projects and once we proceed with the project we use what our customers tell us to decide if it's the right choice for them so dave if you had indicated interest in this knife block you know hypothetical knife block concept and we ended up proceeding with it then that might be your selection in the future so it's really kind of a two-way conversation, which is which is the exciting part, where customers are kind of telling we're 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 throwing things in front of our customers really rapidly. They're telling us what they like and what they don't like, and then we're and then you are kind of having you're having a say in what you end up receiving as part of your journey with us um, of discovering these different like exciting, interesting products and brands. So you know, fast forward today, you know, the business has grown to over three hundred thousand subscribers, and you know, last year business grew 55%. What really caused this? Yeah, so we're seeing a, a few trends. I mean, one is, and I think a lot of people know this, there's just a shift to e-commerce, particularly during COVID. And so that was, I think, part of it. And uh, you saw lower acquisition costs and some things that we would maybe say were kind of more temporary or circumstantial in nature. But we're also seeing some long-term effects. 
we're seeing you know significantly higher spend per customer for example i think that's that's for a few reasons i think one is just our offering has gotten much broader and our targeting has gotten more specific and so we can offer a wider variety of products that are more targeted to individual people's interests. And so it's kind of, you know, you kind of think about it as like, it's a hit, right? If the product's a hit for you specifically or you personally, you're going to find our offering more relevant to your life and you're going to be more likely to purchase. And so a big component of that is actually um, higher spend per customer in addition to just getting more customers. And like I said, some of that was temporary in nature, just, you know, something that everybody saw, but, but some of it has sustained and, and we're continuing to see, you know, things like spend per subscriber grow. So you mentioned kind of the last year and just e-commerce in general going kind of crazy overall. How have you had to pivot the business over the last year with that growth, but also just thinking about where e-commerce is headed? So one of the things that we looked at, and I think there might be a couple of different things we've done, but, but one thing that kind of pops up in my mind is, as Rishi said, when we first started the company, we focused a lot on small brands and we always, we've continued to do that. I mean, our, our value prop to our customers all around discovery and finding out about brands that you might not have known about otherwise. And I think that was really prominent messaging when we first started. And for whatever reason, we didn't focus on that message as much as the company grew. We were still doing it, but it wasn't a central focus in terms of our outward consumer facing messaging. And so once COVID hit, we had a bunch of brand partners who were heavy in physical retail and they started reaching out saying, Hey, I've got a bunch of canceled POs. And I know that you guys are always looking for new products. And uh, is there something we could do together? And so that sort of was a bit of an aha moment because it was consistent with what we've always been doing, which is working closely with small brands, but it was opportunistic in the moment because there were a lot of small brands we had always worked with that particularly needed help, you know, especially in those early days. And so we more formally set out a commitment where we said uh, that we were going to raise initially $10 million or not raise, but commit $10 million in purchase orders to small brands during COVID. And I think, what are we at now? I think we actually have like surpassed that by 4X. I think we're over 40 million now. Yeah. We wanted to do 10 million the year. We we hit that in like three or four months. We upped it to 20. We broke through that by the end of last, like by October or so of last year. Yeah, now we're we're way over it. So it's been it's been it's been really exciting. Talent is a big part of predicting the turn. And as we talk about talent, I wanted to mention one of our sponsors, Hunt Club. Imagine the power of the best marketers in the world helping you to find your next marketing leader. That's the power of Hunt Club. Hunt Club is a new category of talent company that powers the network of experts, connectors, and business leaders to help you find the best talent. Let's face it, recruiting hasn't changed with the times. Hunt Club is changing the recruiting game by leveraging technology and crowdsource referrals to find you the best people possible for your company. Stop paying job boards that don't work or recruiting firms that recycle the same active candidates. Partner with Hunt Club. And with that, uh, you know, that small business initiative, how are you thinking about that in the years to come then? Well, like I said, we've kind of always done it. We've always worked with small, I mean, we don't really work with any large brands. We, we pretty much exclusively do work with small brands. And so I think it's just kind of, what's, what's been interesting though, is by more formally talking about it the way we did, we got a lot of really good inbound interest from brands that we wouldn't have otherwise heard about. And so as we sort of look to the future, we think that people really do want to continue to discover products from small brands and uh, it's sometimes hard to find them. And so we provided an interesting platform to do that. 
And so part of it's just how we message that both to our customers or the end consumer, but also to the broader community. Because for us, you know, finding a great new brand that we can partner with is that's like the key to the whole business. And so we want to kind of continue to accelerate that and onboard more brands to our platform, both to have a good working relationship with small brands, but also to deliver on our commitment to our customers. So when you think about the kind of the growth that you've had with the business, how have you done this balance of thinking about the world of subscription, the the world of one-off retail, gifting, all of the different options that you have with this great kind of tastemaker approach? How do you balance that and think about the, the offering for the consumer? Yeah, so it's a good question. And I mean, as you know, Dave, a lot of times you kind of want to focus on something specifically because uh, it's hard to do everything really well. So for example, you mentioned gifting. And we certainly have a lot of people that buy gifts from us during the holidays. But I would say that you know, a lot of people when they first look at the business kind of say, oh, I bet you guys do a lot of gifting. I would say probably, I mean, I think we've looked at this before, 85, 90% of what we sell is actually self-consumption meaning it's people who are signing up and entering their own credit card and buying for their own purposes. So I think so far the answer has been that we've mostly focused on having a conversation with our customer and less so about the gifting angle, which doesn't mean that there's not an opportunity there. I think there is. It's just that, uh, you know, with limited resources, most of our focus in terms of how we message and how we do marketing and things like that have been more on kind of like that self-consumption. So whether it be subscription or one-off purchases, it's been more of a focus on that. Related to that, how have your marketing strategies kind of evolved and changed since the founding of the business? Well, when we first started, I mean, we didn't have any marketing budget. So it was really just how do we, how do we get our name out there? And so we just reach out to a bunch of blogs and try to get people to write about us and, it was kind of just, you know, strengthened. I mean, I remember we'd reach out to a hundred blogs and maybe like three or four would write about us, but that would get the attention of another blog who would write about us. And it kind of had a domino effect. And so that's how we initially started. And, uh, you know, that, that was probably like the best way to start. We were trying to focus exclusively on how we get more customers and worry less about all the other stuff. Now we have a much more diversified strategy and we obviously do paid marketing and things like that. And so, uh, you know, obviously we're in like social channels, but we're finding that, uh, you know, a few years ago, it was really heavy in Facebook and Instagram. And we've really diversified quite a bit into other channels, you know, whether it be podcasts or TikTok, Snapchat, Pinterest, kind of all these other channels are working from from a, a paid perspective. So I want to go back and, you know, thinking about the original kind of beginnings of the business. You, As you guys mentioned, you met at business school, we're working together and a lot of people, when you go to business school, it's to go work for that big consulting company or that big CPG. Yet you guys knew that entrepreneurship is what you really wanted to do. What led you down that path of saying, I want to go to business school, but use it to go into entrepreneurship in the startup world instead? We both came from consulting backgrounds. And then we actually both were out in, for our respective internships, we were both out um, in San Francisco. Uh, Steve was at uh, a company called Chegg dot com and I was at Google and um, I think we both realized that and Steve had the opportunity to go back to his consulting firm after business school as well but I think through the summer and through you know the various conversations we had we both realized that I think at first we both realized we wanted to work at a smaller company where we'd have a bigger impact I don't know if we directly jumped to the entrepreneurship bucket right away and I think I think it was more of like an evolution of, of thinking but I know for myself, at least, when I, like, I, I really had wanted to work at Google, and I was excited to intern there. But then I was there, and I felt 
like it's, a, it's an amazing company, but I felt like a cog in a wheel. And I think that you know that was my big takeaway from the summer, and, and and that's why when Steve and I started talking about different concepts, and we were like both like super excited to just like roll up our sleeves and, and start and start building something. And I think at Kellogg where we were, it actually it's a very like entrepreneurial culture, just the student body in general, like everything very student led and student run. And I think maybe without us even knowing it, uh, we went to a school that kind of fostered that that type of thinking. And so I think it was all these different effects. That or trends that occurred that ultimately led us to, to start something. And, you know, over the last 10 years of running this business, what have you learned about running a business with a, a friend, not just a colleague? Hmm. <laughs> That's a good question. You'll get into a lot of fights, but it ultimately uh, <laughs> you're both like, you know, we both know we're both 100% in it and we'll always make up in the end. And we all, and... Uh, we don't get in that many fights. Like, we're fighting right now. Look at that. See? Um, <laughs> and I think, I think what's cool is like we both have the same like ultimate goal of where we want to get to and we're just figuring out together how to get there. But it's been fun. Like now we have families and that like the family, like we hung out last weekend, our family, our, our kids hung out, which is kind of cool. Maybe they'll start a company one day. Who knows? And uh, I don't know. It's been fun. It's been a fun, fun journey. I think that we have a really – I mean, we do have disagreements, obviously, like Rishi said, but we have been lucky and fortunate in that we have worked together. For, I mean, I think a lot of people actually struggle to work together for this long. I mean, it's been almost 10 years now. And part of it is that uh, we do have different personalities. And I think we each understand those differences in personalities pretty well. But also, you know, a lot of times we are on the same page. And, and I can kind of very quickly, just from experience, like, I kind of know what Rishi's going to think about an idea that somebody's going to propose and, and he, he knows vice versa. So it can be tough because I do, you know, I have heard other founders who, you know, it's just hard to get along for that long, but if you're able to, to make it work, you can really have a pretty deep understanding of each other and your personalities and, and how somebody's going to think about something. And that can be a real advantage. Uh, and, and I think that's been an advantage for us. So if you look forward, where do you see the business going in the next uh, couple of years? good question i think one thing we're really excited about that we haven't touched on yet is we, we've we've started our own kind of internal incubator for lack of a better term where we're launching some of our own products and brands in areas that we think the market isn't really looking at now and so that's an area we're super excited about where we're kind of creating products that we we have a really good feeling that our customers will love and a lot of that is again driven off of that conversation that we're having with our customers and we're kind of putting some of these concepts in front of them and, and getting their feedback really quickly and iterating. And so that's an area we're particularly excited about, continuing to invest in over the next three this year and in the coming years. Yeah, I mean, one, one of the things that we've been seeing is that the more customers we have, the more information we can learn about the nuances, the individual interests that we have for customers. And it also gives us the capability to offer a wider array of products. And it kind of makes the overall offering from a customer-centric perspective more appealing. So you kind of went to a world where when we first started, we were offering one box a month, kind of everybody got the same thing. And then we started adding a couple, you know, we'd have, we'd have a few offerings each month that once somebody could choose from. Now we've got dozens of offerings on the subscription side and thousands of offerings outside of the core subscription model. And uh, we're, we're getting much better at identifying products individual people are going to, going to like. And so we're able to use this engine, like Rishi said, to develop even more. And it's sort of a, it kind of has like a snowball effect where the offering 
get stronger the more we are able to build out our capabilities and team and grow the business overall. Well, gentlemen, it's uh, been amazing to watch the journey you've been on for the last 10 years and can't wait to see where you take a bespoke post in the years to come. Great. Thanks for having us, Dave. My pleasure. Thanks so much for listening. If you like the show, hit that rating and make sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And for more resources, head over to predictingtheturn.com.